everyone, and welcome to our fifth episode of Portage One Pagers. We're super excited to have Daniel Nielsen with us today. He's a notable marketer, entrepreneur, energizer, and the CEO of UpStrategy Lab. Daniel is known as a thought leader in B2B sales, marketing strategy, value prop, and growth. Based in Sweden, Daniel sits on the board of numerous Swedish companies, and he's written many articles on B2B value propositions, as well as developing successful partner programs and designing powerful sales processes. At UpStrategy Lab, Daniel leads a highly skilled team that offers B2B sales and marketing consulting, digital design, and partner programs. And he's helped to grow and scale various companies ranging from medtech to digital gaming marketplaces and much more. Along with his exemplary work in consulting, Daniel co-founded One Life Dreams. This is a not-for-profit organization that accomplished their goal of inspiring change and making dreams come true. Daniel is also extremely passionate about promoting diversity through his accelerator program, which invests in founders who are women, persons of color, and or LGBTQ+. Daniel, welcome. So first of all, Daniel, I'm just so excited to be able to uh, connect with you. And uh, I have a value prop crash on you because there's so little that's done well on B2B value propositions out there. And uh, so excited to uh, be able to connect and, and learn from you today. Gosh, you make me blush. <laughs> Thank you for the nice intro and everything. Thank you so much, guys. Um, can we start with what is a value proposition to you in the B2B context? If you could just uh, talk a little bit about how, how you think about it, how you think about what's the, uh, you know, really, what is the essence of a B2B value proposition? Absolutely. It, maybe we should start with what is not. So uh, it's good to know that a value proposition, you know, is not some kind of glowing description uh, talking about your unique services and passion for excellence and your leading edge technology. Um, so it's not that, and it's not information about your company, your products or services. Um, it is not some, you know, uh, nice little uh, slogan that you have, you know, L'Oreal because you're worth it. Instead, the value proposition is really the thing that will make your prospect move forward in your sales process. It is what determines whether they will bother to read more or listen to your presentation or read your text on the website. That's really what it is. And if you want to have some kind of definition, uh, I would say that a value proposition, it is really like a, a very clear statement about the outcomes. So very important, the outcomes that some kind of individual organization can realize from using your product, service or solution, whatever it may be. I always think of it as what's the difference that we make for that customer's challenges. And, and it sounds like it's, uh, you know, in that, in that department of, of really focusing in on, I'm hearing two things. One is focus on the customer, not on yourself. And secondly, really focus on, so what, what is it, what's the impact or, or what are the outcomes that, uh, that you actually can impact with that customer with regard to those challenges? Exactly. And the funny thing is like, it's so hard. You are a little bit in love uh, in your company. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to talk about it a lot. <laughs> so it's really hard. I kind of like, because I'm like, oh, how can, hard can it be to, you know, do these things? And then when you start your own company, like, man, I'm like doing, I'm not even following my own rules and lessons. 
so it is difficult. Let's get a little bit of your story in terms of how did you end up really focusing on this as one of the areas of your consulting practice and your work with clients? Just after school, I joined this startup. I was there for nine years, long time. Uh, they were doing IT security and I was so lucky. It was like no employees, like nothing. And then growing the company to become kind of big and you know publicly listed and all those things. And during that journey, I was in US for a while and I met this man, Jeff Sherwood. Great name, uh, but he was an amazing salesperson, a fantastic storyteller. And I was supposed to do the marketing and he had to train me <laughs> to do all these things. And I remember still like how difficult it was for me to understand the difference. You know, this is a benefit. This is a value. This is a feature. I mean, all these things, and especially on a foreign language at, as well. He drilled me so well in this. And you can say that's the start. And then what happened, I got multiple marketing roles where I had to dig deeper. And some of these products are like insanely difficult. I was working for Mentis and they have uh, an endovascular simulation uh, uh, machine, for example. And I'm you know, like, what is endovascular? Just starting mm. and then all these other things, it's like super complicated. Um, and you have to really push yourself to dig deep into how do I find the value prop, even in the, the most complex type of businesses. And can you talk about, so you started in there with talking about how, you know, in, inside our companies, we're in love with the businesses that we have. And we spend a lot of time talking to each other. How do you shake them out to start thinking from the customer's perspective? How do you approach that? How do you think about uh, getting your, your clients to start thinking from their customer's perspective in this process? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's super hard, obviously, but the best story that I really like, and I would give you all a tip to check it out. There is this professor, Clayton M. Christensen, unfortunately he passed away. There is an amazing video of him talking about how he helped McDonald's with their value propositions for milkshakes. In principle, he, McDonald's did the right thing. They were trying to improve their milkshake. They want to reinvent the best one on the planet. So what they did, they went out and they, they created you know, hundreds of versions of milkshake, you know, shankier, less shanky, more sweet, less sweet. And they tested and they created a perfect milkshake. They released it to the market and their sales don't change. It's the same sales. So Clayton and his team, they were doing the research. They would go out to each McDonald's and they will sit outside and from early morning to late night and, you know, check out people that bought milkshakes. And they discovered that 50%, which is, I think is an insane number, 50% of all milkshakes are bought before 8 a.m. So it turns out that the people coming and buying milkshake, they have a very specific job they want to get done. They have a long drive to work and they have tried other products. They have tried a banana. Like if you eat a banana, you're hungry afterwards. Like it doesn't fulfill you that well. They tried, you know, um, uh, bagels and all this stuff but you're trying to eat it it crumbles all over and you even like somebody tried a snickers but they feel guilty afterwards and like if you're you know husband or wife find the paper they're like why are you eating snickers for breakfast you know <laughs> it's not a good story but the milkshake is an amazing product you buy it you will suck it from that little straw and it takes you 30 minutes it's like a like a little thing you're doing and you can perfectly sit in the little cup holder. You can hold it while you're driving. It's like so nice. You can take calls, you can do everything. The product is solving a very specific job to be done. So it's not like I'm coming there and I want to drink something sweet. I actually wanted to have some company. I want my way to work as a breakfast. So you really need to make sure that you know and understand your customers. What do you 
see as some of the most critical steps to take with customers? What makes the biggest difference in the, in the process that you take? We are a little bit affected by time. And what I mean with that is that you have probably had a bunch of meetings the last two weeks, and you will be strongly affected by those specific meetings. So you will, you will believe that what all customers want is what the customers you met the last two weeks wanted. And what they told you is exactly what you deserve because they, the people you meet is the people you marketed to that you caught in some kind of way. So you're like creating your own like narrative of what's happening here. So what we need to do, if we really want to create really strong B2B value propositions, we need time to actually reflect and think and make sure that we catch the data, the information from what customers actually want over a longer time. And it's not that one person can sit there and like try to do this. We have to sit together. So FAST is always super important to bring multiple people from multiple parts of the company together to discuss. And then when we do all this stuff, we need time to reflect and you know, understand the priority of what's coming in the, the information. So you can say these are kind of very important little steps here to have. Um, and then of course we have to push the client to really work on their empathy with the customer. You have to listen to them. What do they want? How does that look like? Are you sure? Uh, I'm like always asking tricky questions. Like, are you sure that's really how it is? Just like in the milkshake story, it was not about creating that perfect milkshake. It is about understanding what the customer is actually trying to get done and then, you know, work with the product to make sure it fits that job to be done. Daniel, I, I really I really love what you just said about um, like the front line, really understanding the pains and the gains for the customer. And, and we talk about, like Peter and I often talk about the importance of customer empathy and, and doing customer listening tours to, and, and to really synthesize and take that information in. So once we've got all of that together and we've distilled down a terrific value prop, one that really resonates, like from your perspective, what should sales leaders do to bring it to life and to get the most value out of it. Cause that, we find that that can be a sticking point. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm not surprised. The, um, I think like when it comes to value proposition, it's important that to understand there's not one, there are many, it's a story. And that story contains many little value propositions outlined in a nice pathway that makes sense. That makes you feel excited. And that is, of course, a skill in itself to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's very, very important here, like, sure, you can maybe identify some value propositions, but you actually need to identify many value propositions and put them in order of importance. So many times when we do these workshops, we say like, okay, we use, we're going to use a tool. So here's a tips for everybody listening. We use a tool called Strategizer, and they have something called the Value Proposition Canvas. So you can Google it and find it, download for free. And mm-hmm. what we do, we take all those teams, like, you know, the support team, the sales, the marketing and product, and we all put, we put them all in the same meeting, in the same room. And we say, okay, come on. Now let's sit here together and define what are the jobs to be done for the customer, including the jobs maybe we don't take care of, but just generally. So we have empathy with the customer. We, as you said, also the pains and the gains. But the key after that is to rank everything in order. So we're all sitting there together. We defined, you know, there's like 20 different jobs 
and like, okay, but from the customer's perspective, what do they feel is the most important? And you say, this is most important, this is second, this is third, and then suddenly people don't agree and there's like a discussion about it up and down and there are changes. But we make these rankings, this understanding of the different type of jobs and pains and gains, and you will see that they're actually small little micro stories. So when you are the sales leader, you should know these, all these jobs to be done and these pains and the gains. And then when you're meeting a customer, there are two alternatives. You can either create a general story, a story that you always tell that feels exciting and interesting, containing many value propositions. Or you're a really skilled salesperson. You actually adjust the story and the value proposition depending on the requirements that popping up as you are doing your discovery call, as you're talking to the customer. I, I have to yeah. ask, so, so what did you learn about a great pitch deck? Like what, what are a couple of things that you make sure are always in the pitch decks that you're working on? First of all, don't think that you need to only have 20 slides. That pitch deck that closed that many deals had 45 slides. It took me exactly 23 minutes to go through it. Um, and see it more like it is a little movie where you are the speaker and you're just flipping through the slides. So a slide can be 10 seconds. It's okay. A slide can also be one minute if you really want to. And it could be 30 seconds. That's the thing. Like, don't be worried about that. And don't have slides with mixed messages or mixed stories. It's totally confusing. Each slide is one story. And in that story, make sure you have a really big super headline that clearly communicates whatever needs to be told here, a sub-headline, and maybe a little smaller, super small, it's like new headlines and text and things like that. Also, when I create PowerPoints, which is a little bit against what you should do, obviously, if you listen to and read all these other things, I actually have a little bit more text. So they're not clean and just one word. Instead, I make sure that if I send this deck to somebody, yeah. they could read it and understand it immediately. Mm, yeah. hey, you don't need anybody speaking to it. No, it's like the standalone deck. Yeah, it, it, it can travel on its own. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I mean, if you have amazing amount of time and you are have big deals and a lot of money and all the stuff, obviously I would do multiple decks but I'm pretty sure we're all stressed and don't have time and don't have unlimited of resources. So we only <laughs> maybe have time to do one deck. <laughs> yeah. um, then you all asked about other resources. I kind of mentioned a few. Something Please. we started to do a lot, we call playbooks. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and this requires an enormous amount of resources and time and empathy. You will look at your customer. You look at the jobs that needed to be done and where you connect to those jobs. But you could also look around and you can like, can I help my customer get this job done better? So I mentioned before that like these, let's say I'm providing learning services. One of the jobs the customers would have if they are HR is to design and create that strategy for the learning and development within that company. So what you would do, you would hire a journalist and you would hire some people and you maybe spend a lot of time and money, like two weeks consultant work to just create a single piece, a playbook on how to actually create a strategy. And in that playbook, you will place it on your website for free. The playbook should contain a lot of links to other 
resources and services and uh, research done and all these other things. And that is amazing for many parts, even if you're a startup, because all those links and the, the content itself will give you SEO. The second part, when your customers see this amazing content and that you give it away for free, no login, no ridiculous stuff here, they're like, wow, this I, I like this company. I feel trust for this company. Um, this guy, Peter, I mean, he's amazing. He's just giving you this for free when he's selling it to me. <laughs> and I know that some companies are trying to do this, but what they do, they, they, they go a little bit cheap. So they think that they can compete like, oh, I'm just going to spend $100 on that little blog content. And then they think they can compete among all the 10,000 other companies also spending $100. You can't do that. You have to spend maybe $1,000, amazing content, be number one, and simply win because of that. Daniel, I mean, you've been so gracious to share your time with us. That we, we'd actually really love to share with our listeners a bit about the inspiration behind the One Life Dreams organization and your accelerator program through UpStrategy Lab. And these are two passion projects of yours. Would you share a bit about them with us and our listeners, please? One Life Dreams is um, like, so I have a friend. Uh, he was actually my neighbor before, and he likes since he was a kid, he always been doing dresses of some reason. Like his, it's like he's crazy about it. And we were able to get a job, and we always try to, during those jobs, convert that into big, nice projects. And I think the coolest one we have done is that we we got the mission to do uh, Miss Sweden dress. So that's amazing. Obviously, almost for free, but we got the job. And we kind of like asked and said, okay, how can we make this really, really cool? And Swedes back in the days, they really liked horses. And there's like this wooden horse from 1600, you know, like where it's called the dollar horse. And we're like, oh, that's so nice. What can we do with this? And how can we connect it to children? So we managed to get sponsored 400 wooden horses. And then we took these horses and we managed to uh, do a big event and get 400 kids to custom paint these 400 horses. And then I took these 400 horses after they drive, which flew to Asia, and I met two different charity organizations. I found one in Nepal, and I actually flew all the way into Nepal and met them there. And we gave all these like 400 horses to different kids in different, um, uh, what do you call it, like schools or, or communities. Uh, so we were able to have, you know, a handmade special thing made from a kid in Sweden. I take it all the way to Nepal to these kids. I will give it. And we talked about Swedish and like how these have been done and all these things and showing them pictures. So it's like a, a beautiful community project that was obviously so much fun to do. And then the accelerator program. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, uh, me and my partner, we are uh, LGBTQ plus uh, founders of the different startups we have. And it's really hard, like, I mean, you know, both for women or if you're of, of color or if you LGBTQ plus, like it's, it's not that easy to get money because you're a little bit different. You're not maybe perfect form fit and all this stuff. And we really want to help these guys. So we try to have this type of accelerator program where we get involved and really help with value propositions or web pages and all this stuff. So we, we do actually a lot of free stuff uh, left and right for different type of, uh, yeah, people that are entrepreneurs that really wants to grow and, and build up things. So it's like super exciting, of course. So it's I, I, have a, I have a ton of respect for that, Daniel. My daughter came out uh, as lesbian a couple of years ago. And she is a warrior and a champion. Um, 
she actually was an advocate who got the uh, the pride flag um, approved at the Toronto Catholic District School Board to be flown, and um, I think it's amazing. I I love I love that focus on diversity, and thank you, thank you for your efforts in that area. It's uh, it's inspiring. Yeah, and congratulations! You got a really cool daughter. I do. Nice. I do. Yeah, you did she's, a good job. <laughs> and she's gonna she's going to nursing school in the fall. I'm super proud of her. Super proud. That's so nice. You know, oh. my mom is she's like so happy. She's like, oh, thank God that I got one that is like uh, gay because she's like she loves Pride and Pride yeah. in Sweden is very different from Pride in Pride in Sweden. Is like kids all over the place. Uh, mm. You know, like all daycares have their own pride uh, walks oh. and all this stuff. And she thinks it's so much fun. And she's like all over the place. My mom actually gave my daughter a special mask with the pride colors, uh, which I oh, thought. Oh, that's so nice. It was super oh. cool. And I know we're coming to time. We've, we've scooped time with you. There's a, there's like a, there's so much that popped for me. And I know for Peter too, I, I do like what resonated for me was your focus on customer stories um, I think that that is something that we fundamentally so believe in and work with our customers on. The other thing that popped for me when you talked about value prop, about being a clear statement about the outcomes, the difference that, that you make so that, um, you know, you're, you're really making an impact for your customer. That was very powerful. Uh, it was actually really fun to talk about the slide decks. We've never talked to anybody about that before. And Peter and I get bananas about slide decks. So we're like, oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> like, I can imagine. Really... So do I. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. man. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to wrap it up. And uh, thank you again, Daniel, for so much for joining us today from Sweden. You're our first international guest. Super cool. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll be able to chat again in the future. 